District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Thanks to everyone who congratulated me on being elected to POMA's Board of Directors. I'm very excited to begin this step, and I can't wait to catalog my journey for you all. Today's episode is a special one. It is with videographer and drone specialist Brandon McDowell. He is a drone pilot, videographer, and editor. He is a fifth-generation Texan, an avid outdoorsman. He grew up in the heart of South Texas in Goliad, where his life was built around ranching and farming. He participated in Future Farmers of America, also 4-H, which he'll talk at length about in our conversation. He earned a degree in agricultural engineering and technology from Sam Houston State University, and he hoped to apply his knowledge and grow from that foundation. Together with his girlfriend, Megan, they own Bar MC Media, which is a full-service filmmaking content creating outfit. They create video and photo content specializing in rodeo events, hunting, fishing industry, wildlife, and ranch rural real estate. They offer consulting services as well for social media marketing and website development. They are based in College Station, Texas. I think I first heard of Brandon. We connected via social media. I believe we have some mutual contacts in Cable Smith of Lone Star Outdoors, a recent past guest here on the podcast. And I always love connecting with Texans. I think Brandon has a really interesting story. If you like rodeo, this is an episode for you. We dig into the weeds of exotics in Texas, which is a very interesting conversation. If there's merits behind high fence hunting, outreach to kind of non-traditional demographics in hunting, and so much more. I really enjoyed speaking with Brandon, and I think you're going to really like his story and his business as well. I encourage you to follow him and connect with him after you listen to this, get to know him, and do your best to help me elevate storytellers like this. So here is my conversation with Brandon McDowell. Enjoy. Welcome to the latest installment of District of Conservation, everyone. I am pleased to be joined by Brandon today. Brandon is going to talk about his work in out storytelling uh, video, filmmaking, photography, Texas, and so much more. So Brandon, thank you so much for joining District of Conservation. Thanks for having me on. Could you introduce yourself, your background, how you got hooked into the great outdoors? For anyone who follows your social media, they'll see that you just live, eat, and breathe hunting, fishing, shooting sports. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So I grew up in South Texas in a small town called named Goliad. It's actually uh, was one of the first towns in Texas when it was being formed back when it was still Mexico. Um, so I have a, a huge pride in that. And I guess that's where kind of most of everything that I try to do like comes from. Um, I grew up like playing football, all baseball, running track. I was in 4-H, FFA. And I guess that's where I kind of got into the outdoors mostly was through those two organizations. Um, through high school, I shot competitively shotgun. Um, in 4-H and in FFA, I judged horses, livestock, land, um, a lot of those things that you the opportunities that you have in those ag classes really like stemmed my, I guess, love for the outdoors. Um, throughout high school, I had jobs. I worked on uh, thoroughbred ranch and hauled hay, worked cows. So I got the opportunity to be out in the outdoors a lot as a job very young. 
So I guess that's where a lot of it came from because the places that we worked on, I mean, it is South Texas and what they say, like we have pretty big deer. It's, it's true. I mean, in some places they're harder to find and, uh, but they're there and they are pretty big. I have heard. So I've heard, I haven't done much of hunting in Texas, but friends of mine there have talked about them and I've seen pictures. So you are not far off with your characterization. <laughs> and it's so interesting in ag background, because I think most people don't think agriculture is kind of intertwined with the great outdoors, but did you also do hunting and fishing simultaneously with your work in FFA and 4-H? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I, I owned a few dogs and had a lot of friends that ran hog dogs. As we know, Texas has a huge hog problem and we hunted for them and rifles pretty much any way you can. Um, that was a pastime of ours. I mean, if we weren't playing sports or at the, on the coast fishing, actually, cause we we're 45 minutes from saltwater in Rockport and Port Aransas, which are some of like premier fishing destinations. And Port O'Connor was a maybe an hour and a half away. And that's another good place where fishing is good on the coast of Texas. So we had a lot of different options to be outdoors when we weren't working and getting to be in the brush country, as they call it. We got, we had saltwater that was pretty close also. So growing up, like I said, if we weren't playing sports or something, we were outdoors. That's incredible. I figure like that's a common background with anyone I've met from Texas who is very outdoorsy, but it's kind of differently um, for it's different for everyone that I've talked to for more coastal people, kind of your description, people more on the hill country have a little bit different, but that's so fascinating. And I think when people think of prime outdoor location they do think of texas and do you see kind of the validity behind why texas has then i think the highest share of is it hunting licenses if i'm not mistaken over a million is, is do you think because of the offerings of texas is that why you would say Definitely. i mean you there's a lot of opportunity in texas i mean from whitetail hunting like we discussed and the coast with the fishing that we have and trout and redfish and in some places in the lower Laguna, closer to the border of Mexico, you have a chance for snook and tarpon. But um, in the hill country, you have a lot of um, exotic ranches and high fence places. And also you have low fence places also to hunt on. And then West Texas offers you kind of the same with different, same animals as whitetail. And now we have with free ranging axis and all dad running through and even black buck. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for any, a lot of different species in the state of Texas. How do you feel about outsiders coming in and judging, let's say, the proliferation of Axis and Audad? I know it is controversial. I was reading actually recently about how Axis deer can be problematic for the landscape, but I've heard different opinions. But what is your feeling whenever someone comes in and says, well, having these exotics is really disastrous or this high fence hunting is awful and atrocious do you tell people to maybe hold up and and maybe reconsider do you share I, concerns I would, with that i would offer them to take the chance to come hunt a high fence place in texas i mean i know there's there's bad apples in every industry of course and there's people that do some things that maybe normally that a lot of us don't agree with but they're the majority of places in texas if you went there and you tried it out you would fall in love with it just like we we are. I mean, you it's it's not a canned hunt by any means. I mean, will you have opportunity to um, take animals? Sure, 
But if you're there to hunt a specific deer or a specific axis or black buck and you have something in mind or even just whatever your your status of a trophy is, it might just be a doe um, uh, or uh, maybe some uh, a younger buck that isn't that huge 170-inch deer, but it still might fall in a, a smaller class, still a trophy. You're going to have that opportunity. And I feel like if a lot more people tried it out and gave it a chance, they would see that it's not some just um, easy hunt that, you know, you just show up and shoot an animal and then go home. There's a lot more to it than that. Have you been documenting the misconceptions behind it? I don't know if uh, you have profiled that, but is that something you focused on in your documentary work or reporting work? Not really. It's more something that I just pay attention to because it's something that I, I care about. And I've worked and hunted on some of these places and filmed on some of these places. And it's not something that I just um, outwardly just, you know, stand up for or um, just you know, voice my opinion about it a lot, I guess you would say, but it is something when I have the opportunity to educate somebody on, I, I try to use that to share my experience that I have with that. And I, like I said, I know there's people that have had other experiences that I probably wouldn't agree with, with them also, but I still like to show that there are good in what is done here in Texas and how it's done. I read a, it was a Dallas Morningstar news article recently that said, because exotic hunting is inevitable in Texas, there kind of has to be a greater purpose to it. So it was interesting to see a concession from a publication that normally wouldn't support it saying, well, here, how do we accommodate this? Does the uh, Texas Wildlife Association have to come into the equation and implement some sort of management protocol with, you know, regular type of hunting. So it was really interesting to see that they accept its inevitability Um, in terms of the ranches that you know of, and I have seen this with one or two in kind of some initial research I've been doing for a video, maybe down the road, because I know that's a very hot button topic. Um, But are there any that you know of that help to repopulate um, certain species in Africa. I know that's maybe some goal that some of them have to do to help maybe populate the white rhino or some of the more imperiled species. But is there any chatter on that um, from your observation into it? A lot of, like even the scimitar orcs, that's one animal that's been brought back here that was, if I'm not 100% correct if it was completely extinct, but it, I know it was very, very threatened in its natural range in Africa. And that is one animal that was brought back and has actually been some species have been taken back to Africa to try to help really um, with those herds. So, I mean, there is a lot of good that comes with these ranches. And I know that, um, that the most of them, their goal is to see these animals flourish and still be on this planet. And I know that, you know, between, what goes on in other countries. Cause we have, I mean, we have animals from India like the black buck and the axis and nil guy also. And in some of those countries their their numbers aren't what they used to be. And here they're still being able to be seen and be hunted and still be enjoyed by people that can enjoy them. Like ecotourism opportunities too, for those who are non-hunters, right? Yes, I know on the King Ranch um, in Kingsville, they offer tours, like photo tours and stuff where you can see all the birds and the numerous species of animals that they have on the King Ranch. I know it's white-tailed deer, nilgai, wild hogs, um, uh, 
what else do they have down there? Quail. Um, in some parts, they even have pheasant. So I know they offer those um, tourism uh, opportunities for people as well. Yeah, where I went to in Florida recently, there was a former exotic ranch and they disbanded it. And uh, the friend that I made that I stayed with tells me that he has free range access roaming his ranch <laughs> at times. So he, we couldn't I've see any. The axes are showing up in Florida at some of those ranches. Yes. So, I mean, they're, they're an awesome animal to hunt. They offer a very unique um, challenge um, and the meat is delicious. I haven't, um, I've had elk one time, um, but axis is by far my favorite um, wild game that there, that there is. They're so magnificent too. I've seen them in different documentaries from India and they're just like the way that they vocalize. It's so unique. You don't really see that much in white-tailed deer or even yeah. um, some so, others. I mean, apart from the elk, but yeah, they're, they're beautiful yeah. and really good tasting. Yes. And any animal that it's main predator was a Bengal tiger. They're, uh, <laughs> they're pretty equipped to um, survive. <laughs> did you hear about the Bengal tiger tiger on the loose in Houston? Was it yesterday? I, did, I think I did see that video <laughs> on um, Lone Star Outdoor Show. Uh, yes, cable. cable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I saw I saw that. Do you know anything about Texas's permit system? It's not for hunting, but I I read and heard that you can own a tiger in Texas for like a two thousand dollar permit or something like that. Is that true? I, I'm not sure on that. I haven't looked it up, but I have heard that um, Texas. <laughs> is like has one of the largest tiger privately owned tiger populations anywhere (laughs) that's so crazy yeah when i saw that i was like wow a cat on the loose in suburban houston like this is crazy (laughs) i've i've seen videos and pictures before of like um houses that people just either stumble in or some story you know where there's full of animals and they have tigers and pythons and stuff i mean uh Texas, uh, we, we do love our animals and sometimes it's to a fault, I guess, with those, mm-hmm. those animals being trapped in those houses and stuff like that. But it's, it's, it happens every now and then. That was kind of a great overview of Texas wildlife. I want to ask you more about kind of your professional career and what led you to do photography, videography. Did you initially go into this doing this all the time or was it something you had an epiphany on and you were just passionate about and just decided to go full throttle in this route? So talk about the genesis of your work in the outdoor industry. Okay. So honestly, it was just um, opportunities just coming up and saying yes to them. So like I said, I have an ag background. I graduated from Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas with an ag engineering degree. And then I also have a minor in marketing. So um, while I was going to school, my girlfriend actually, who owns Bar MC Media with with me, um, she was actually the photographer and she's still, I will say, a better photographer than I am. But um, she started uh, taking photos um, locally at different calf ropings and team ropings around uh, the Brazos Valley College Station where we live. And I was taking a marketing class for my degree and I kind of started working with her Instagram and like promoting her so she could go to these team ropings and people would see her pictures. So also with my degree, I had to write a paper on um, emerging technology and agriculture. And I chose to write that paper on drones and I actually got a pretty good grade on it. So 
I, I, after writing the paper and learning so much about the opportunities that were there, I applied and took the test for my uh, drone license. So I'm a certified UAV pilot with the FAA. And I started flying drones and doing photography and videography for real estate. And um, it was a great opportunity. I had a lot of friends that were beginning to become real estate agents and some that were ahead been. So I had the opportunity to film properties for them. And while my girlfriend was also doing photography for the calf robins in the rodeo scene, she had the opportunity to go to a couple PBRs, which are uh, professional bull rider events. And she took some awesome photos and a lot of people started asking about if we did video. And at the time we didn't, um, but I had the opportunity to buy a camera and we started doing video and we had an event here in College Station called the Seth Brazier Memorial. Um, it's an event for a young man that passed away a few years ago that his mom puts on and she takes that money and gives scholarships out and has this event every year. And um, we did a video for that. And that's one of the first videos that actually took off and a lot of people saw. So while building that, we decided to merge them together. It was Bar MC Drone Service and Simply Photography by Megan. And we created Bar MC Media um, behind also that uh, my last name is Brandon McDowell and her last name, her, her name is Megan McElyay. So it was two MCs. So we named it Bar MC Media. And we just took every opportunity that came with it and kind of just went with it. We had a lot of fun. We went to the RFD American and filmed that and a lot of PBR events. And then that was our mainstay that we were like starting with. And then also with COVID happening, a lot of those rodeos and events got um, canceled. So we had to come up with ways to still create content, you know, for our business. And then also to keep trying to be better in what we do. So we had the opportunity to start hunting. We had some friends that uh, came to Texas and to do a turkey hunt last year. And we started with that. And then I had the opportunity to do some work also for uh, Record Rack and um, film some stuff for them for a veteran hunt that they put on every year. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then adding us together, um, my girlfriend and I, our hunting adventures and fishing adventures, we started filming those and kind of using that also to promote our business and, you know, keep practicing to get better with our cameras and how we film and the stories that we tell. How do you feel about YouTube as a platform? I think kind of like you, I, I started it a long time ago and just recently I've had success on it, but it's really hard. Do you like using YouTube? Do you think it, there's a potential with it? Do you like I using it? There's a huge potential with it. I mean, you see it with other, um, other pages, especially in the outdoor industry. I mean, I follow Hush and Born and Raised and there's the Hunting Public, of course, and Spring Thunder. There's a bunch of, I, I watch a lot of YouTube and I consume a lot of outdoor content and some other rodeo content as well. But I think it's a platform that um, you, you really have to put the work in for but it eventually, I guess, they say that it just, it, it happens. Uh, how do I, I guess, how do I put this? If you, if you put the work in, like I've seen on other pages, I feel like your page will eventually reach the people that you're trying to reach. And those people will f consume your content and your, and your page can grow. 
I mean, it's, you don't really know, I guess, unless you get into the whole SEO of YouTube and all that kind of thing. I'm, I'm trying to learn that, I guess, but Do you use I, I tube buddy. Like, um, I don't, you should, it's free. It's something that I, I've looked at before. Good. It's helped me a lot. And it's really good for when you upload, you can see how your title does. You can see kind of the different metrics and they have like, they have the basic plan, which is pretty good. You don't need to go beyond the basic plan, which is free. Um, but if you're looking for a tool, that's really good. And then there's another one, I forget what it is, but TubeBuddy has been helpful for me for increasing my SEO too. I'll have to try that one out. Yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah but you, I mean, the content that we've also been posting that's actually done the best has been more of the rodeo content. And I think that was due to COVID also just because people, the people that watch rodeo missed rodeo uh-huh. and be able to go to them. So I guess YouTube was the next best thing. I, I think I've, I've seen a lot of rodeo, especially like Dale Brisby's page. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff, but he's a pretty, has a pretty big YouTube page and like the rodeo Western industry. And uh, he had a lot of growth through COVID because people were missing watching it live. So they were watching it on YouTube. Rodeo is not really in my wheelhouse because having grown up in California, we did have rodeo actually in the town nearby where I lived um, because of the Spanish history, of course, very similar to Texas, but um, it was Southern California was a little far removed from rodeo um, when I was growing up there. Northern California, it gets a they, they find it, they like it a little better, but yeah, Southern California. Perhaps. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Rodeo is um, interesting. I know my friends like in Texas and also those like in Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, it's still a yeah. very big thing. And I kind of see from, I guess, uh, an interesting thing um, that uh, anti hunters love to target the rodeo. That's kind of next in their crosshairs. And it's yeah. really funny. They think they're going to succeed, but they won't. Yes. Um, I'm a, part of the Houston, actually the Houston Livestock Show Rodeo organization. I'm on a committee with the, called the Ranch and Wildlife Committee. And I mean, every year that we've been down there, we've had protesters with signs and everything. And I mean, they, they stand out there and they march and do what they do. They really don't do anything more than that. But um, we do see it a lot here. And it's, it's actually starting, starting every now and then you hear them going to the kind of the smaller local rodeos and protesting as well. But it's really not as, as big as the ones that like we have in Houston and San Antonio and like the DFW area. I mean, in Texas, I think you guys are going to do a fairly good job of keeping that tradition alive, but why do you think that they do this? Is it misinformation and misunderstanding of what rodeo is? Um, Are they a shrinking influence you think, or are they going to become more empowered? I, I think it falls right in line with kind of the, the hunting and outdoor aspect of it too. I mean, you're always going to have people that disagree and are misinformed and not fully educated. I mean, a lot of them, you'll see them protesting, you know, um, that this is a cruel sport and, you know, the animals are so abused and everything, but they're wearing leather belts and leather shoes and they still eat meat. So <laughs> It's very confusing. And I, like I said, when, when I'm presented the chance to educate somebody, if there's a person that generally just has questions and wants to learn, I'm always happy to pass on that information and let that person, you know, try to make their um, decision that way. Like I said, there's, there's bad people and bad instances and things that happen that a lot of people that even as ranchers and farmers don't want to happen. I mean, 
they, a rancher doesn't like seeing um, dead animals. Like that's mm-hmm. not, or sick animals or hurt animals or animals suffering. That's, that's not something that they enjoy. So it's something mm-hmm. that they actively try to prevent. And I, I think if those people that disagree with it just took the chance to learn and understand that it would, they would see that that's definitely not the case, that it's just an abusive, abusive atmosphere. I mean, I've, I've seen horse sales that animals for millions of dollars. I've seen buck and bulls go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And also when you're invested in those animals like that, it's, it's almost like they become a part of your family. I know I've seen stock contractors that massage and scratch on buck and bulls and horses and all kinds of things. So I'm not, when, when people say those things about rodeo, it's kind of like there's instances that, you know, that are there. And, and it's a part also like rodeo and kind of the outdoor industry as well. It's, I guess, our job as people that are doing in these professions to show those things in the light to, you know, put up against people saying uh, on the other side, rather than just talking about it, we need to do a better, more active job of showing that. Yeah, I think education is key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, education is key in both rodeo and hunting. And something I think we all have observed this past year is just so many people who you never would think would pick up a rifle or a bow are now taking to the field. Have you personally seen this in Texas? And what are some of your comments about the hunting community reaching newer audiences. I know this is a greater kind of topic that everyone loves to discuss. And I think someone with your perspective would be very interesting to to kind of highlight this, but what's the best way also to attract newer audiences or kind of non-traditional hunting demographics or demographics that have been displaced from hunting? I I personally think it's awesome because I mean, all that money that's spent on those hunting licenses and that gear goes back to conservation. Like we all know and we all preach about but I've, I've seen a lot more people, you know, fishing because that's an easier, easier thing mm-hmm. to do, I guess, than hunting for most people. But that this kind of like goes back to the whole um, high fence and private land thing. And in, in my point of view, I mean, I know everybody preaches public land and I actually got to go on my first public land hunt um, last week or week and a half ago. And that's awesome. But there's so many opportunities with private land that I feel like new hunters especially could, you know, that's a resource that they really haven't, um, nobody really talks about. And in some circles <laughs> may even be shunned, but mm-hmm. I think it's an opportunity for newer hunters and hunters that, you know, don't necessarily have a family ranch or maybe even um, money to purchase and lease land to hunt on. But there are, you know, private ranches that offer hunts and that could be a resource for them. Yeah, I think private land hunting gets the shaft unnecessarily. I think it's a great option like public land hunting. And for me, because I'm fairly new to hunting, maybe four or five years into it, it's been easier for me to do it. It's not because I'm not capable of doing public land, but public land hunting in Virginia is a lot more scarce than some other states nearby. Um, definitely, we have more than you guys in Texas. We have maybe 16% of state lands that are that are public land. And it's not impossible. I've done a public land, um, land duck hunt, obviously, because it's 
on a different national wildlife refuges against that. Um, I think that's the only way you can do duck hunting in Virginia, unless you have private land, but largely duck hunting is public land here in Virginia, but it really is fewer barriers, I think, and, and a little more comfortable if you're going with landowner uh, for private land hunting. Um, it's a lot easier and people shouldn't be shunned for doing it. If they want to do private land or public land hunting too, I say all of the above. I think those are great. <laughs> Definitely. And then like I like I said, especially for, for newer hunters that, you know, public land is is a very challenging thing. It it is for any animal. If you're turkey hunting, if you're deer hunting, you know, it's it's you have other hunters there, you have animals, you know, sparse habitat maybe. And then but for new hunters, you can come and hunt on private land in here in Texas and and see animals. Like you, mm-hmm. you necessarily don't even have to to take one or even pull the trigger or, or even shoot one, but you can see animals and different animals and different from different places that you probably wouldn't get to see. Yeah. Unlike anywhere else. Yeah, definitely. With all the different exotics and maybe some endangered species too. I feel like if it's close to the border, you have a lot of different endangered or threatened species that are really unique um, in Texas too. And in terms of um, reaching newer audiences, like I know in the gun industry too, and it kind of has a little uh, similarity with hunting, but I think one of the most interesting statistics to come out of gun ownership growth were black Americans, which I loved seeing. And I think that's so wonderful that every American, especially black Americans are picking up legal firearms ownership. And is it the same for hunting too? Because I know people talk about wanting to reach newer audiences and, and you being in this position and, and knowing this very much and, and growing up with it, what would be your advice to people in the black community who would be interested in both shooting sports and also for hunting too? Cause I think it's become a lot more of a welcoming place. And I think um, for the longest time, people weren't really wanting to, I mean, I think it, it goes to, they did this with women too, but a lot of people are very afraid of sharing their spaces with others. I would, I want to give away my spot we see those misconceptions and we see those kind of hesitations now being shed, but, but what would you say to, to um, kind of non-traditional demographics that are starting to come into shooting sports and hunting to about what they should do and, and why this is a great place to, to wet your feet in. I would say, try it. Anything that you're looking to do, try it. There's the majority of people are good people. Will you have some people that may not like it? Sure. You, you can you can have that in in any thing that you try in life. You can just have that in your life, period. But you, the majority of instances that you have will be good, and you will definitely enjoy being in the outdoors and and shooting. Like like I said, I I grew up around it. I had a lot of opportunities with family friends that weren't black; they were white, and and some people would think that you know, oh, that's not a bad thing, but the majority of my instances when I was young were with like nobody in my, nobody in my immediate family really hunted. I, I, I had these opportunities with my friends. So that's where I, I learned how to hunt. And I guess you would say that, like I said, if, if you're going to, if you want to try it, try it and don't let what could happen or what you think might happen, stop you from doing that. Cause being in the outdoors and, participating in shooting sports and hunting and fishing is, is a lot of fun. And it's, it's something that you will definitely enjoy and be thankful that you tried doing. Also, I think a great unifier 
that brings people together across different lines. I've noticed this personally. When I was competitive shooting, I, I shot with Asian people. I shot with white people. I shot with Hispanic people. There was people of all races shooting and it was a good time. And you didn't have any, I didn't personally have any like instances where people were trying to push me away or keep me from doing something, but it, it, it really was a good time and something that I've cherished really in my life. As it should be, because you have to have a welcoming experience. And I think maybe for like 20, 30 years ago, it may not have been the case, but I have noticed that the gun community is very welcoming. Fishing has been pretty welcoming too. Not everything is perfect, of course, but I think people yes. recognize that more participants are better. I think culturally speaking, it just brings us together as Americans and you can shy away from differences, shy away from what's happening on the news and just sit around the campfire, sit on the riverside, the ocean shore, wherever, on a boat, uh, in a tree stand, and really have community with people. And I firmly believe that it's it's a great unifier, one of the best ways, time in the great outdoors, to really bring people together. Do you see it that way too? I do. And I mean, even, I, I really do. And it's sit, sitting around a campfire with people that you might not necessarily know, which I've this is experience that I've had, and you're getting to know those people um, like I said, I've, I've been on hunts for, with veterans and done work with that. So it's, it's always an experience that you walk away from glad that you got to be a part of. I will say that for sure. Now, not all of them had may have been a successful hunt per se, but the experience that I had with those, those people uh, was really, really good. It is. And I think it'll continue to be that way too. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to that conversation about you were saying misconceptions about different things. And I think it really is a welcoming place kind of against different industries. I haven't really encountered so many obstacles, um, personally speaking, of course, it's never really a perfect experience, but it, I think it's really molded into something that is a lot more welcoming, let's say, than some other industries out there, like some corporate American experiences or some other industries out there. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's something easy to do. I mean, there's a lot of organizations out there that you can reach out to and um, get outdoors. And I mean, there's local archery clubs. I mean, you can find a, a archery shop pretty much anywhere. Um, I might be a little different here since I'm in Texas, but there there's a lot of them out there. And like shotgun clubs, gun clubs, I mean, even nature walks, if you're into photography, you can do nature hikes and stuff like that. I mean, just being in the outdoors period is a great thing for everybody. And I think like through COVID, I mean, we saw that a lot of people went and did that to help with, with, with everything going on. What would be your advice to budding outdoor communicators who want to get into the communication or media side of things? Do you think it's possible for them to do it? What would you recommend for those who are good with a camera, really want to get great at it, make a business of it and have success? What would be your advice to them? I mean, I, I, I would definitely say it's doable. I'm still trying to do it myself. Um, I'm not completely into the outdoor industry like I would want to. I mean, there's still goals that I have that I want to meet, but I mean, just, try it like just take out the opportunities that are presented to you and learn as much as you can i there's a lot of connections that i've made that i 
looking looking ahead, I wouldn't have thought those connections would have got me to where I where I've come this far. But as as long as you're putting in the work and trying to learn and get better at something, I think it's 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 a doable thing for anybody. I mean, it's only going to get better and more companies and more brands are seeing that this social media thing and content creation is is where it's going for their marketing needs. I mean, it's it's only getting stronger every day and with new apps and new things and new ways to post and upload. So it's it's definitely not going to go backwards. So the opportunity is going to be there. And even for the rodeo industry as well, we've seen it a really grow very fast lately. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work in both industries. And I think it's great for everything because it's promoting hunting and fishing in the outdoors. It's promoting rodeo. It's, it's only good for, you know, what the things that we love. So, I mean, the, the more people doing it, I think it's better, but it's also comes with doing it a responsibility to do it well or try to do it well. There's mistakes I'm sure that happen. Maybe they're some, in some instances done on purposes, done on purpose, but I think presenting great content in a, in a great way that promotes hunting and the outdoors and like also for people doing rodeo as well is a good thing. I think you would actually benefit from joining POMA. I don't know if you've looked into it and I'm not trying to uh, coerce you into joining it, but you would actually make a really good candidate for our organization. You should check that out. And I think that could help you get to your next steps too. Cool. I'll check that out. You shoot me a link or something. Yeah. I absolutely will. We actually have a really good deal on our upcoming conference, a discount. And then you get um, the remainder of the year as part of your registration fee. In addition to that discount for registration, your registration fee includes uh, coverage of membership for the remainder of the year. So we're offering a really cool deal. So I'll send that your way um, for sure later. But Brandon, this has been wonderful. Where can my listeners connect with you, learn more about your work, follow you on social media and potentially hire you for projects if they're interested? Sure. I mean, um, we have a website, of course, barmcmedia.com. It's B-A-R-M-C Media. And then um, Instagram, Facebook, same thing, barmc Media. Um, my personal page um, is McDowell underscore Brandon. And then we also have a, a brand page where we post a lot of our hunting and fishing content, which is the Tejas Hunt Club. So it's T-E-J-A-S Hunt Club. And then um, that's it. I have a YouTube channel, of course, Bar MC Media, and um, I said Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, the website. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll be sure to include that all in the show notes. Brandon, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting with me. And maybe I'll catch you at the Pomo conference if you decide to attend. And hopefully I'll get to interact with you and, and meet you and your girlfriend sometime in the future in that person. It would be lovely to meet you guys. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Brandon McDowell. If you enjoyed our conversation and this interview, make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played and hit the subscribe button. Especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us some reviews of the five-star variety if you liked what you heard. Those help us go a long way. They're kind of a barometer for listenership. They're not a foolproof measure, but they're really great for indicating to me how far we are reaching to different people. And make sure to share these individual episodes with your social media followers if you like what you're hearing. I'm getting some great feedback on our interviews and your help in sharing will be greatly appreciated beyond what I can do 
on my end, personally speaking. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor guest announcement. And if you have suggestions on who you'd like to hear, if you'd like to nominate yourself and you think you'd be a great candidate for the podcast, send your suggestions my way. I'm all e- I'm all ears. We have a lot of stuff that could be discussed coming up. We will be sitting down with Amy from Alexa Athletica to talk about her brand and her company and why so many women are purchasing her apparel for concealed carry fashion. It's not just a fashion statement, it's practical wear as well. So we'll learn more about that early next week. We'll be joined by the gentleman from Your Mountain Podcast, Nephi and David Walms. And talk at length about what is trending in public policy. We'll probably wade into 3030 more so with them. And we'll be having some more interviews with lawmakers, newsmakers, and the who's who in conservation. I'll do my best to get some interesting folks, people you may have heard of, people you may have not heard of. I think it's always interesting bringing in new people into the mix, up-and-comers, people who have unique stories that often don't get shared and told. And with the platform that I have, I want to be able to do that. So you'll continue to see that from me here at District of Conservation. Gosh, we have... We're going to cover the Virginia gubernatorial race because now we have nominees for attorney general and governor on the Republican side who will likely face off former Governor Terry McAuliffe, who's no friend to Second Amendment rights and not a friend to sportsmen. Sorry to say that. I had to endure four years of him. He may have had some people in the state agency who were phenomenal, but that guy is not a sportsman. And with the direction that Virginia could go in under him, I worry we're going to shift away from conservation and into preservation. So we don't want to see that. So we will ask of the different nominees if they are interested and want to come. An open invitation is for the AG nominee, for the LG nominee when that is decided, and for the gubernatorial nominee. Should they want to talk about guns and conservation and their plans for sportsmen and sportswomen here in Virginia? I would love to sit down with them. I think that'd be great to, to learn more about their platform and maybe have some questions answered where I feel there are gaps or missing pieces. All right, that does it for this week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to District of Conservation. Until Monday, have a great rest of the week.